Good evening and welcome to the November 2nd edition of Eye on the Triangle here on WKNC. The time is right here at 7 o'clock. I'm your host, John Boyer. It's an exciting night. It's election night, and I hope you were able to make it out and vote if you were able to today. We'll have some live updates from the polling sites with our reporter Chris Chaffee coming up throughout the hour. Also on the way, some interviews with the folks behind the Troika Music Festival, all your favorite segments, weather, food, community calendar, sports. It's all on the way, but we begin with Jacob and his look at Couture for a Cause. Community Canvas on Eye on the Triangle. Your local arts news. The Wake County Group, ME3, Motivate, Educate, Empower, and Engage, is a nonprofit organization that exists to promote volunteerism. They believe that their annual fashion show, taking place on Friday night, November the 5th, at the Children's Marvelous Museum in downtown Raleigh, Couture for a Cause, is the preeminent emblem that illustrates their work in helping individuals, volunteers, in ways that utilize their talents, passions, and energies to their maximum effect. ME3's president, Amber Smith, explains the fundraiser's purpose. Well, Couture for a Cause is kind of our signature fundraiser. This is our second year doing it. And the purpose of the event is really to highlight our nonprofit partners while raising funds that will help us maintain and expand ME3's programs, which make volunteering accessible, easy, and fun for everyone. This year, we'll have about 19 nonprofit partners participating. The nonprofit partners really run the gamut across different causes. So we'll have organizations like the Red Cross, Susan G. Komen, NC Green Power, Interfaith Food Shuttle, organizations that really cover a wide range of causes and needs for the community. So really, among those in the audience, there should be something that appeals to everyone. Area designers Christy Stewart and Suzette Walker join Eye on the Triangle to talk about their involvement with Couture for a Cause. Please introduce yourselves and the groups that you've been partnered with. My name is Christy Stewart, and my label is called Republic Rouge, and I am paired with the Interfaith Food Shuttle this year. The nonprofit um, it started with two soccer moms that saw a bunch of places just throwing out food in the grocery stores and bagel shops and different places, and they decided they wanted to use that food in a way to help the community. So there are many volunteers that go and pick up the food from different places to help feed people that are less fortunate and the food doesn't go to waste that way. So they also have a couple other programs with the Interface Food Shuttle that helps people get back on their feet if they are down and work. They have one program where they have like an eight-week training session to get um, people in the cooking services and you can even go and be a chef later in life after you go through their course and they also have something called Backpack Buddies, which was my inspiration for the dress I made for the Ready to Wear session of Couture for a Cause. Hi, my name is Suzette Walker, and I am paired with North Carolina Green Power. North Carolina Green Power acts as a catalyst for uh, renewable energy needs in North Carolina. Basically, they work as like an intermediary. You know, they'll, they'll get donations and put them into, you know, solar energy or small hydroelectric and all the sort of green energy needs in North Carolina that people, you know, you might have like $4 and not sure what to do with it, and they go and invest it in these needs. Christy, you said that Backpack Buddies was the inspiration for your design. Was it very different than your normal work? The dress is very similar to stuff that I like to do with Ready to Wear. The color choice and some of the design features really was inspired by the Backpack Buddies thing, so I think it will show up pretty clear when you see it on the runway. Backpack Buddies is actually is for kids, basically. It's in school-aged children who 
may not have a good meal to eat over the weekend. So what they do, the Interfaith Food Shuttle has a backpack that they give the kids over the weekend that has, like, all the proteins and vegetables that they would need over a weekend because they found some kids were going home and they weren't eating over the weekend. They would come back in Monday mornings and they just weren't doing well in school. So they implemented this program to help them, and um, they would be able to eat the whole weekend without worrying about if their family was on bad circumstances and couldn't afford the food. So that really stood out in my mind, and so my dress was inspired by that particular service they offered. So I um, can't tell you much about the dress, but that was my inspiration. So you have to see it on the runway to see what I'm talking about. And Suzette, did North Carolina Green Power have an impact on your design? Oh, definitely. They, I've always been interested in sustainability and you know green initiatives, and to uh, see that influence in my designs, um, not only are my aesthetic uh, influenced by North Carolina Green Power, but my resources, all my clothing is used is uh, n- like reclaimed materials and scrap goods. So I really wanted to not only make it so the aesthetic represents them, but the actual materials are, and, and it kind of goes back to the whole renewable energy. So Amber provides an outline for Friday night's programming. Doors will open at 7.30 for guests. Uh, you'll be able to come in, check out our cash bar and our silent auction tables. We've got lots of great silent auction items ranging from spa packages to sports paraphernalia. The runway show will start a little bit after 8. Uh, we'll first have a ready-to-wear runway show. In the intermission, we'll have local band Ariel Down playing live for us, followed by an art-to-wear runway show. Meanwhile, our three judges will be taking a look at the outfits that go down the runway and judging based on innovation, quality of design, and how well the designers have captured the spirit and mission of the nonprofits they were paired with in their designs. For anyone who wants to help me out, what's the difference between ready-to-wear and art-to-wear? Well, art-to-wear is more like you have for a special purpose, something that you wouldn't see out every day that's high fashion, and you would have to deconstruct it to wear it every day, basically. And ready-to-wear is something you can pull right off the hanger and wear out, and that's what I specialize in. And you just, I mean, to have an inspiration is good, but you have to make it functional to be considered ready-to-wear. Thank you, Christy. And has there been any challenges in preparing for this year's competition? Um, my charity actually won last year, so I have a lot of pressure, so, <laughs> quite honestly. Um, so I hope I can pull it out for them and win this. I really do. I found it challenging to do because I'm doing just the ready-to-wear section, for, and it was easier to me to think of something couture-wise for my charity, but... To sit back and make something that's wearable that also has a statement, I had to be a little creative about that. So that was a little challenging, but I did come up with something. Same question, Suzette? I've actually never done art to wear specifically, so that's always been, I don't like to call it a challenge. I call it an opportunity to sort of express my creativity and sort of have fun with it. So I think that's been the, the coolest thing about this show. Back to Amber, what then happens at the end of the evening? At the end of the runway shows, the dresses will be auctioned off in a live auction. It's going to be very exciting, with proceeds benefiting ME3, of course. You'll have your chance to get your hands on one of the outfits that you saw on the runway. So guests really loved that last year, and we're excited to bring that back this year as well. For the cash prize, designers will win a prize in either category. It is possible for a designer to win in both sections or for different designers to win in either section. 
What kind of donations are you looking for for entry? Entry to Couture for a Cause is $20 advanced tickets, which are currently being sold online until midnight on November 4th or until we sell out. At the door, if we have tickets left, they'll be $25. And all of that goes to ME3? It does, and we'll be really taking the, the proceeds and um, improving our programs next year where we'll be able to match a lot more volunteers to the partnering causes and causes that we're not able to participate in Couture for a Cause this year around Wake County. And that website is www.me-3.org. What do you hope audience members gain from the evening? We really hope that this will be an opportunity for audience members to see local causes in a different light in ways they wouldn't expect to see them before and for them to take the inspiration from the evening and kind of go back and think to themselves, well, how can I apply my talents to benefiting a cause in the area just like the designers did by using their passion and their talent to champion a cause themselves? Local nonprofit community groups will be brought to life on the catwalk on Friday night, November 5th at the Raleigh Marbles Museum at the annual Couture for a Cause from 7.30 until 10 o'clock. If you have an event you think your neighbors should know about, hit us up on the recently redesigned Eye on the Triangle website, www.wknc.org slash EOT. Viewpoint on Eye on the Triangle. Evan's opinions on the latest news. The views in this editorial do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, student media, or NCSU. Contrary to the diagnosis of two primetime comedians, our nation is not insane. While America's public discourse might be devoid of, devoid of critical analysis, the vacuum created by its absence shouldn't indicate that we've slipped into some form of national psychosis. All we are is panicked and insecure. We're emerging from a deep recession during which millions of jobs were lost. Our struggle against the worst forms of religious revivalism is forcing us to adapt to the reality and unpredictability of terrorism in the modern world. Our overseas commitments in Iraq and Afghanistan have damaged our international credibility and mired us in debt. China is emerging as an economic superpower. We're also coming to terms with changing demographics, growing multiculturalism, and we're redefining gender roles to boot. These factors place an incredible strain on America's social fabric, and social unrest is a natural response. That fact should be taken into account when discussing what undermines our national dialogue and gives rise to movements like the Tea Party. It's in times of unrest like this that throwing our weight behind cults of personality is especially counterintuitive. The rally to restore sanity and nor fear that John Stewart and Stephen Colbert held on the National Mall this past weekend is of no exception. Mass appeals of this very nature serve to divide more than to unite, do nothing to foster critical thinking, and amount to little more than demagoguery. While two talented comedians gave voice to thousands of frustrated individuals, they offered no analysis of our national climate that could be of any use in elevating our discourse. All they staged was a reaction, and a flippant one at that, to the panic experienced by members of the Tea Party. As much as we'd like our politicians, pundits, talking heads, and comedians to think for us in times of insecurity, they don't, they won't, and they shouldn't. That's our job. The nature of our unique form of democracy requires us to put in the effort and shape our national dialogue. That process is not spurred on by mass displays of emotion like rallies on the National Mall, but rather by analyzing and thoughtfully discussing our country's afflictions around kitchen sinks and dinner tables independent of our favorite demagogues. Americans haven't lost their sanity any more than they've lost their pride. They simply fear for their future, and understandably so. Some reactions may, relax, may lack any apparent rhyme or reason, but the catalysts of their reactions, 
insecurity begets such behavior. Only by attempting to understand the origins of reactionary fringe movements that hinder our discourse can we find a way to inject some much-needed order into our chaotic public forum. Demagogues make us feel only we can make each other think. The views in this editorial do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, Student Media, or NCSU. Thank you so much, Evan. And Evan will be with us throughout the evening, uh, offering some of his thoughts as we see some of the results come in starting after 7.30. We have Chris Chaffee on his way out to a polling location. We'll get a live report from him coming up soon throughout the hour. But now I'm going to send it over for a look at weather. Thanks, John. Well, today we had a cool fall day with temperatures in the mid-50s and partly sunny skies. Now, tonight we will cool down to 42 degrees, so we'll be pretty chilly, and we will have increasing clouds as well. Now, taking a look at the forecast for the next few days. Tomorrow, expect temperatures to get up to about 56 degrees with cloudy skies, and we do have a 40% chance of rain in the afternoon, so be sure to have a rain jacket with you just in case. Now, tomorrow night, expect temperatures to get down to about 49, and we do have a 70% chance of rain here in the triangle tomorrow night and this is because of a low pressure system just out to our south and west now this system is going to be bringing in a lot of moisture and cause the rain to stick around till as late as thursday evening so if you are planning on heading out tomorrow night be sure to take an umbrella along with you now thursday expect the rain to continue with highs near 58 now, the good news is the rain will begin to clear out on Thursday night, but night- nighttime temperatures will be cooler with lows near 40. Now, Friday, we will see partly cloudy skies with only a slight chance of afternoon showers. Expect a high of around 57. Now, be sure to really bundle up if you are planning on going out Friday night since temperatures will be dropping close to freezing. Now for your weekend forecast. Expect pleasant conditions during the day Saturday and Sunday with highs in the mid to upper 50s. Perfect weekend to get outside and go for a hike or a bike ride. However, if you are planning on heading out at night, be sure to take a warm jacket with you since we will be seeing temperatures near freezing once again for Saturday and Sunday night. So overall, it looks like we can expect cold, rainy weather tomorrow night through Thursday and near freezing temperatures for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night. I'm meteorologist Katie Costa. Thanks for tuning in to your WKNC weather forecast. Back to you, John. Thanks so much, Katie. Glad the weather held up today, though, to allow those people who are waiting in line to vote, you know, they didn't have to bring their umbrellas with them or anything of that nature. All right, well, coming up after the break, we'll be uh, talking to Mark. He's got some more uh, food insight for us. We've got some community events, the ever-popular Gardening Minute, and folks behind the Troika Music Festival. All on the way. And if you want to get in touch with the program, do so on Twitter, WKNC EOT, WKNC881. Check us out on Facebook, Eye on the Triangle, or our new website, WKNC.org slash EOT. We'll be right back. I'm here with Mark Herring, our resident food critic. He's here to offer us some of his thoughts this week. What have you got for us? I got a little story about a restaurant uh, that I absolutely adore back at home in Chapel Hill. And I know that... You know, WKNC, we're based out of NC State and Raleigh, but this is Eye on the Triangle, so I guess I do have to make a shout-out to all you guys out there in the Triangle. So, after a long road trip, I finally arrive home in Chapel Hill. After 10 hours in the car, my thoughts have deteriorated into the most primal. I need food. I need comfort. I need Mediterranean Deli. Started by Jamil Kadura, Mediterranean Deli serves Middle Eastern, Greek, and North African specialties. However... This place is not catching a ride on the recent Mediterranean diet bandwagon. Their stuff is authentic. If there's one thing that ticks me off more than Taco Bell, it is faux Middle Eastern food. Unlike many of the fad restaurants that use tortillas instead of Arabic flatbread, 
the Mediterranean deli bakes its own pita. Most importantly, their food is consistent. Their food consistently hits the spot. I continue. I continue to fall in love with dishes that I have previously ordered. Just entering the restaurant clears my head. Located on 410 West Franklin Street in Chapel Hill, Med Deli has a warm and casual ambiance. And upon entering, and on upon entering, I smell bread baking in the back and meat sizzling on the grill. Needless to say, this intoxicating perfume only exacerbates my hunger pangs. The deli's glass counter is full of the staples: stuffed grape leaves, couscous, several varieties of hummus, marinated olives, and falafel. I order. I order a compulsory, compulsory side of hummus, my new favorite, and a new obsession of mine, fatayer. Fatayer is more or less a Turkish pizza, with fresh cheese, meat, spices, and maybe some onion or tomato. As I wait for my fatayer to bake, I snack on complimentary olives and sip on Med Deli's spin on Southern iced tea infused with rose water. This is good stuff. Only about ten minutes later. My order is called, and I eagerly jump into the hummus. I don't want to give the impression that I always review food in hyperbole, and that everything I shove into my gluttonous face tastes good. But in my subjective yet honest opinion, this stuff is like first love. My brain slowly starts to recover, and my fatigue fades away. The smell coming off the fatayer is so enticing. I prematurely bite into it and slightly burn my tongue. The fatayer came with. Turkish sujuk sausage, cheese, and two eggs on top. Anything with two overeasy eggs is a good thing. The yolk acts like the fatayer's own sauce, and man, this stuff is addictive. This could possibly be the best late night food in the world. Despite my full belly in the end, I want another. After I surrender to another solid meal at Mediterranean Deli, I sit relaxed and and observe the tables around me. Vicariously enjoying the other people's experience, the ambiance is great. Arabic music plays in the background. There's a soccer game on the TV, and everyone around me is happy. By seven o'clock p.m., this place is jumping. I would personally devour anything on the menu at Med Deli, but I'm partial to my fallback, the gyro slash shawarma. This Middle Eastern wrap of marinated rotisserie lamb, known as the gyro to the Greeks and the shawarma to the Arabs. Is consistently good. Med Deli's gyros are simple and go well after a night of drinking. More importantly, they won't put your lower GI out of commission like the majority of this greasy sandwich species. It literally is the best of both world, both worlds. In February, Mediterranean Deli hosted a charity dinner in response to the earthquake in Haiti and raised over sixteen thousand dollars in one night. The majority of the proceeds just came from this sandwich, and despite the lines going out of the door into the cold February night, the restaurant managed to attract a plethora of people. I find myself a new man after dinner at the Mediterranean Deli. The sublimity of the food at Med Deli transcends the casual atmosphere of the restaurant. In all honesty, the only criticism I can come up with is that they're not open for 24 hours a day. For all of you listening out there, thank you for tuning in, and have a delicious evening. And now, an eye on the triangle. First, Chris Chaffee is out at a polling location. He's going to tell us exactly where that is. Chris, are you with us? Yes, I am here. Can you hear me, John? Absolutely, we can. How's it going? First, oh, tell fantastic. us where uh, are you? I just sort of kicked you out the door and said, "Go find some people that are voting." Right, right, right. I ended up at the Cameron Village Regional Library, which is a polling station this year. Um, I talked to Janet, 
who is the uh, designated sticker giver-outer, and she was very kind and very in-depth on her analysis of the day's events. She uh, told me that they had an unprecedentedly high number of people turn out to vote, actually, um, of the about 2,200 registered uh, people that are for the polling station, about 900 showed up, which is uh, above average, apparently. Janet, uh, in the 2006 election, saw only 200, um, even more than the Obama election, apparently. So it sounds like about 40% with some rough early math. Sounds like it, although well, apparently it was an unprecedented year for uh, early voting. Almost a hundred, or almost a million people showed up to vote, 950,000 if I am correct, Okay, now the, voted this year. Now the time now is 725, and the reason we're calling you at this very moment is that uh, uh, voting stops at 730. But that is cr- anybody who's still in line at 730 still gets to go ahead and proceed with their voting. So tell us, what are the crowds like? Is there a line? Well, there was a, a little line. Um, apparently, earlier in the day, there was a line of almost three to four dozen that extended through the books because they were voting in a back room in the library, like their multi-purpose room, if you will. The line almost extended to the like the, uh, the receptionist desk, which is about middle of the library, and the, the room is in the back. So they were wound around the books uh, waiting to vote. Uh, now, not as many are here. It seems that everybody kind of early or came in early voted early did not vote often it is against the law as you know um <laughs> but yes yes it was uh it was quite the day here at cameron village they will start at the doors of the front doors of the library in about five minutes tell people that they must get to the back of the library to vote now because they will not be able to vote after that hi chris this is evan have you spoken with any of the voters as they've as, as they've walking out and gotten a sense of any of the issues that are on their minds or or who they voted for well i only got to the polls roughly one minute before i had to call in to talk to you guys so i didn't get to talk to any voters uh janet seems to have a a good idea of what people are is on their minds um not too not too many crazy issues the usual run-of-the-mill type things you know jobs the economy Uh, i think in a recession people come out and vote more because they are a little bit less pleased with the current environment uh, that's about all I've heard so far. Okay. Um, so Wake County, here's some numbers for you. 198 precincts in Wake County. Uh, I can't imagine. So we're, we're just talking about one precinct uh, that you're out there at Chaffee. I'm sure there are some places in Wake County that are still packed at this hour and some others that might be total ghost towns. Wake County, fun fact, 582,262 registered voters as of today, according to the Wake County Board of Elections website. And uh, after polls close at 7.30, folks will get very busy counting up results, counting up provisional ballots, absentee ballots, all of those things, and uh, results will be pouring in through the night. Uh, unfortunately, because it's not uh, a type of system that's uh, touchscreen, we won't have instant results. It might take a little while. And, and, you know, we're not quite a news station here, so we can't keep you with the results all through the night. But if there are any that come in before 8 o'clock, we'll be sure to send them your way. Any other uh, thoughts for Chris out there? Um, that's right. Oops, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> All right, thanks. Uh, did Janet make any mention of any any errors that have happened at the polling station throughout the day? I know for a fact that five people from NC State showed up this morning, and they were in the the wrong polling place because you, it used to be that NC State students that lived on campus would vote at the Pullen Arts Center, and there was a door on the uh, or excuse me a note on the door of the Pullen Arts Center this morning that said voting is for NCSA students is at Cameron Library. Um, and upon getting to Cameron Village Library, 
Uh, one of my friends received a provisional ballot and, to- and was told that her vote might not count because she's in the wrong polling place. So have you have you heard any mention of, of errors or hang-ups or any kind of snafus? Right. Good question. I haven't heard anything um, in that regard. Uh, I, I guess those things are usually not mentioned in a uh, news-related interview. Um, however, I did uh, – I was at the Cameron Village Library – or excuse me, I'm sorry. I was at the Eastgate – location over in North Raleigh uh, to vote for myself. Uh, well, I didn't. Well, I, anyway, um, soil conservator, vote for me. Um, but, uh, yes, uh, there was no errors there as well. Uh, the, they did have about 800 and some people voting uh, by about 430. So I think that voter turnout has been high. Okay. Well, some of the other precincts in this area, uh, people have been going out to locations uh, like Brooks Avenue Church of Christ, 700 Brooks Avenue, also Freedom Temple Church, 615 Royal Street, uh, various locations throughout the city. As I said, there are 198 precincts. So the area around NC State is split up into a few. There's also a fire station down on Trailwood that some folks in this area are also registered to vote at. So in four, three, two, one seconds, it is now 7:30. So um, voting is closed yes. in Wayne County. As you speak, John, there, uh, the, uh, the the official election judge is about to say, "Hold on, can I have you say that one more time?" Did you hear that? We got it. We got it. The polls are, in fact, closed, everyone. The voting is over. I hope you all got in your votes today. Very important time. All we can do now is uh, stay up late and watch returns, although uh, some of these races, I imagine, are going to be so close it might take until uh, perhaps Wednesday or Thursday to certify who the official uh, winner will be. Sometimes it may take as long as three days is what I've heard. Or six weeks, as was the case ten years ago, waiting for our president. Hanging chads. Well, no chads in Wake no County. No chads in Wake County. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for your Very insight. Welcome, John. Thank you for uh, having me on your show this evening. It's your show, too. Oh, right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, live from the Cameron Village Library, Chris Chaffee, thank you so much. And uh, yes. we love we love you here, Chris. We, can't just, we just can't get enough, so we're going to do something rather unusual. We're going to go to a segment you recorded earlier, your gardening minute for the day. Uh, why don't we go ahead and cue that up? This week on the Gardening Minute, I decided to deviate from my normal gardening tips and talk a little about a couple classes that would be good choices for the avid environmentalist. As we all know, the mad dash to sign up for classes is one of the most stressful times for students as they embark on planning their next semester's curriculum. I know from experience the anguish of not getting the classes I want and the excitement of discovering what new and exciting learning opportunities the semester will bring. In honor of this particularly exciting time of year, I wanted to bring to the attention of the student body some new classes being offered by the Environmental Science Academic Program for the spring of 2011. Environmental Science 200 and 300 are two such offerings that every student should give some thought to. There are no prerequisites for this class, and both classes satisfy the general education program requirement for interdisciplinary and global knowledge courses. They focus on environmental systems and earth processes, and they take an in-depth look into the impact that humans have on our environment. Knowing how scientific knowledge connects to environmental practices is crucial for understanding why our government makes the decisions it does, and these classes make an effort to tackle the subject. They also explain the link between energy usage and the environment. While climate change has existed for centuries, the process itself has drastically changed since humans began to walk the planet. Entitled Climate Change and Sustainability, ES200 will examine climate change, environmental sustainability, and sustainable development in a way that doesn't get too sciencey. The class will revolve around five major themes. Sustainability at North Carolina State University, natural resources, energy, social science, and a case study. 
In ES200, a comprehensive approach will be taken to explore the environmental aspect of sustainability. There will be discussions on bio-geochemical cycles, which make an attempt to explore Earth's processes. The class will also focus on, our, on how our society can develop in a sustainable manner. Development isn't going away, but if it's done sustainable, we can ensure our kids won't live on a planet that has been destroyed by progress. While there will be three exams, there will also be a seminar organized by groups of four to six students. These seminars will be held within the class itself. While ES200 focuses on climate change and sustainability, ES300 examines the way we use energy and the way it impacts our environment. Aptly named Energy and the Environment, the class teaches students how energy is a part of all facets of our lives. By describing the impact of energy usage on our environment, we can learn how to change in energy use can be beneficial to both environment and our economy. Taking an interdisciplinary approach to the topic of energy and the environment, the class will focus on four major themes. Energy terms, sources and use, impact of energy use, energy economics and policies, and energy at NC State. The class will be very different on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Tuesdays will be lecture days. However, Thursdays will be project days, where students will have in-class time to work with teachers to complete their semester projects. The class will have three exams, one paper, which will have three revisions, and there will be one team report and a seminar. These new classes are a great chance for any student to learn about the impact that their daily lives have on the environment. Both ES200 and ES300 accept all students and teach lessons that are crucial to the understanding of our world as a whole. So don't wait to sign up. These classes will fill up quick. I on the Triangles VIP. Talking to people that matter. All right, you're listening to Eye on the Triangle. My name's Tom Anderson. It is 7.35 here at WKNC, and today's VIP are Stuart Horn. It's actually dual VIP, Stuart Horn and Melissa Thomas from the Troika Music Festival. It's good to have you guys on. Yeah, Thank thanks. you. Um, so I just, let's just get right into it. What are y'all's roles uh, with Troika Music Festival this year? Um, well, I um, do a little bit of sponsorship, a little social media, and whatever's asked. So, Go for we'll basic. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm the festival director. Oh, wow. So, um, how long have each of y'all been working with Troika Music Festival? About eight months. So, this is your first year? First year. Mm -hmm. And I'm going on my eighth. Wow. So, with, how long has Troika been around? Um, the initial version of the festival was the Durham Music Festival. Okay. And then in 05, we um, changed the name. So, as far as Troika. Is concerned has been since 05 but the mm -hmm. festival itself has been going on for eight years okay so you, you so you're one of the uh original yeah i was a volunteer um in 03 and uh i missed the first um year and there was a small you know a small group that started it and then i mm -hmm. was a volunteer and then just got involved in helping to uh, organize it cool so i guess this kind of orga organizing pans into the next question i hope you forgive the comparison but like who puts the festival on um i say Forgive the comparison because, like, you know, Hopscotch, that was independent weekly did Hopscotch. Who does Troika? Is it just Troika for the sake of Troika or is it Yeah, someone... it's Troika for the sake of Troika. It's just a bunch of us that um, volunteer, and it's it's basically a volunteer organization that wants to see the festival happen every year. And we do it for the fans and for the artists and obviously mm -hmm. for Durham. Yeah. Um, what's, what's the planning process like? Um, like, how far in advance do you guys start planning, I guess, every aspect of the festival? Um, gosh, starts... Probably right after the the this one's done, we start on the next one. Um, it's just so much. I mean, planning, weekly meetings. Um, it, 
it's amazing what goes on just to put on three nights of music um, for people to come out and watch. Um, it, it's a year event. It takes a year to do it. So what makes, what would you say makes Troika unique from other music festivals or other music events in the area? I think something that I have going for us this year is it's, it's really walkable. Um, you know, some other festivals, you know, you're having to keep hopping in cars, go up to garage deck, get out, go across town. Um, this year, you know, you're able to just park it and, and walk, hit it everywhere in downtown Durham. Um, a couple of new venues uh, that, that were pulling into it. And, and we really focus on, on a lot of the local. I mean, it's a, probably 90% of, of our acts are, are local right. bands. Um, any, anything Dad was on yeah, that? Yeah, I, I think unique, different? we, again, we aren't looking for large sponsorship. We want to keep it as accessible as we can mm-hmm. so we can continually invite new local bands, the veterans. And we do have national acts that will join us when it makes sense. Mm-hmm. But really this year, I think it's... 90 something percent local which is really nice so. so you say you made you made the switch to sorry this is something i skipped over from the beginning but you made this <laughs> you made the switch to troika now when you google troika the first thing that comes up isn't troika music festival where did the name troika come from it came from the assemblance of um the derivative three so you have three major cities uh, involved you have durham chapel hill and raleigh and we wanted a way you know durham music festival is great but we wanted a way to kind of encompass the triangle. So the name change was stemmed from that. Okay. Um, and how has the festival evolved over the years, or how is it different this year than previous years? I guess that's kind of a two-part question, but I guess this would be more directed towards you, Melissa, being here. This is your eighth year. How have you seen it change? I guess it's gotten bigger, but yeah. how, in what nature, I guess? I think the main thing is that we, you know, when you're in an area for X amount of time trying to, build something we're, we're seeing um the end result of that more venues in durham such an incredible talent pool to pick from just right here in the triangle we don't have to go too far outside of the triangle and there was times where we had to we had to pull in resources outside of the triangle and i think this year more than ever we don't have to and we're also riding the post wave of hopscotch which you know i think everyone's still kind of high <laughs> i know i am <laughs> So I think that that's a, a definite change. And the growth, I think the growth is obviously in the name recognition and the fact that we have people coming in to volunteer like Stuart that, I mean, you were there last year. Yeah, I was a fan last yeah, year. Yeah, and now he's a volunteer. <laughs> fan so. turned organizer. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, I think that's always, uh, we see it every year. We see the growth every year in different directions. What, is, what, what would you say um, Troika means for the city of Durham? Is that, is that too broad of a question? Should I near it? I don't think so. I think that um, we've kind of always been happening in the background. Like, we're going to be there three nights out of the year, whether you notice or not. Mm-hmm. The difference is in the last three to four years, people are really taking notice. And they're expecting it to happen in Durham every year, which is nice. It's welcoming. So what is new this year? Um, I know that you know, uh, Chris Tamplin, one of the, a good friend of the radio stations, he used to be over at Tiernanog. And open up Motorco Music yeah. Hall, and um, so Motorco's new, Casbah's new. Um, I guess Stuart, you mentioned that earlier. That definitely, you know, packing more venues there in downtown Durham definitely, you know, augments the walkability of the festival. But is there anything else other than new venues that's uh, new and you all are excited about? Um, well, yeah, on the, on the Saturday, the, the final night of the festival, um, we're, we're actually closing down some of the streets to um, really make it a walking festival. Um, 
the craft show will be going on Saturday as well. And then we're also having, um, I don't know if you want to call it a, uh, a pregame on Wednesday night at Broad Street uh, where we're inviting or we have some of um, current acts, former acts, just coming up and doing acoustic solo. Um, I don't want to call it open mic. It's more of a, um, a review. Pre-show. Pre-show, pre-show review. We've um, never done that. We've never had a kind of a pre-kickoff. Um, I think the other thing that's new this year is we've asked um, folks in the community to help curate shows. So we've got Greg Humphreys, who's curating a show on Thursday. Um, Craig, who does house shows at the Layabout House on Friday. And then the folks who obviously brought us Hopscotch through the Independent, um, Grayson and Greg, have curated a show on Saturday night at the Trotter. And that's kind of a new thing for us this year. And this is the first year we're having a dance party, an official one. Where's that? (laughs) That's going to be late night at the Trotter. Got some DJs coming in that are Any, on the bill. Anyone by name? Anyone? That- uh, Junk Culture is coming in. And I think we've got Vroom coming in. Yeah. A couple other people. Vroom is local, though. So there's someone, I think we have someone else on there. Yeah, I haven't gotten to the dance party yet yeah, myself. Yeah, it's new. It's <laughs> new for all of us. Right, so cool. Kind so, of exciting. Um, so that's stuff you all are looking for. Where can people find out um, more information? I remember, again, sorry, forgive the Hobbs reference, but we had... Uh, Greg on here, and he said one of the main things people were looking for that came to him, they didn't really have questions per se. I guess it is a question, but they said they want to know how they can help out. Are there opportunities for if, if any people want to help out with the Troika, or is it just come and enjoy yourself? Yeah, I mean, we, we always want people to come and enjoy themselves. But if anybody wants to volunteer um, on our website, uh, we've got a link for volunteers. Um, info at troikamusicfestival.org is a quick way to let us know that you want to help. Um, we do have people to come in, right? Like, you know, the day or night of the festival and just kind of jump in. But this year it's been overwhelming, the amount of volunteers that have stepped up. Wow. And, Stuart, you are the social media aspect of Troika. One of them. One of the social media. Um, so speaking of social media, I guess I should mention that um, we, we are, can take questions from listeners at if you are around your Twitter, at WKNCEOT, WKNC881, or and Twitter um, – Excuse me. Troika is on Twitter as well at Bullbot. So if you guys have questions before we get out into the, the night, we'll glad. Um, I'm sure our guests will be glad to get those answered. Um, is there anything that you know I didn't mention that you, maybe listeners may want to know? I think we covered a lot of the stuff. I think the craft show. Um, this is our second year doing that, and that's Saturday afternoon at the Trotter with uh, Maria um, Albany, right? And, yeah, uh, Organos and uh, Phil Cook, who uh, his solo project is Phil and His Feet. And it's funny because that is one of our free shows in addition to the kickoff show at Central Park on Thursday night. That is also a free show with Birds and Arrows and Masadi Music. So I think things to keep in mind for folks that, you know, want to join us but they're not sure a $25 festival pass is the way to go. Um, there's a lot of free shows. We always have all-ages shows as well. So um, how, how much time is left to purchase tickets? We pretty much sell tickets up until... Uh, we sell full festival passes up until Thursday night. And then it's, uh, if you just want to come up one night, it's 10 bucks for a bracelet, all venues for that night. And you can do that online? Can you can you purchase stuff online Passes still? can be purchased online up until Thursday morning, and then we move over to Central Park, and they can be purchased there. They can also be purchased at the pre-party at Broad Street, which, again, is new for us this year. So you can come out early and get your pass and a schedule. Um but you can buy a bracelet at any venue on the, cor- the course of the three nights. Cool deal. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on. Yeah, thank um, you. I'm looking forward. I know 
lot of our listeners are looking forward to it. And you said the the planning process for next year starts right after this one. So is there a you guys get a little bit of a layout before you start planning for twenty eleven? I usually give people a week and yeah. then we have a post <laughs> Wow. And then Just you know, we, we take the holidays off. All right, well, thank you guys very much. You have tuned into Eye on the Triangle here tonight. I am Chris Chaffee, joined with John Boyer and Evan Garris here in studio. We uh, have cleared the election day yeah. hump. It, the time is 7.50 now, so uh, you've made pretty good time today, Chris. Uh, for those of you who have been listening throughout the program, Chris, earlier you were over at uh, Cameron Village Library talking to the folks out there. Yes, I was. Yes, as I was. the voting was coming to a close, jump back in the car, and now you're here with us in the studio not too far away. And we're going to go ahead and take a look at some of the uh, returns that have uh, already started to pour in. Uh, there are statewide results. Um, we go through the statewide results six, here. Six counties are partially reported at this point in time. I'll let you take it away, Evan, if right. you'd like. Richard Burr is leading in the Senate race right now. <clears throat> He's leading 55% to Elaine Marshall's 43%. Uh, with uh, nearly 2% for Michael Beitler. Right, and... 0.05, <laughs> half of a percent for the write-ins. Total votes counted for the Senate race, 559,246. That's quite a bit. That's almost as many registered voters as there are in Wake County. So, so far, uh, you know, things will continue to be added up through the night, but 9% turnout at this point in time. Right. Another race of interest this, this election season has been the 2nd Congressional District. It's my congressional district. Um, where Bob Etheridge is running against, running against Renee Elmers. Etheridge leads right now about 53% to 46%, total of 30,600 votes. Very close race over with the uh, B.J. Lawson-David Price race. It's 49.52 uh, David Price, 50.48 for B.J. Lawson. Yeah, that's mostly because I think uh, Wake County is showing up really strongly in the early results, and that uh, chunk of District 4 is going to be the conservative part of it. Right. Whereas Orange, Orange County has not uh, probably come into force yet, if it's that close. Virginia Fox doesn't need any help way out there by Winston-Salem. <laughs> She's up at 62%. Unfortunately. I bet they could go ahead and call that, huh? <laughs> well, of course, uh, North Carolina is not the only state that's uh, deciding who to send off to Washington. Uh, on the national level, they've already called four senatorial races nationwide. Dement uh, in South Carolina will be making it back to the Senate. No uh, surprise there. Rand Paul in Kentucky. Oh, God. Uh, we thought that was going to be a tight race. Uh, he's <laughs> going to be heading up to Washington. As, as sort of a jovial mood here in the WKNC uh, election headquarters, the glass-enclosed nerve center of democracy. We can, uh, we can uh, break it down by Wake County-specific <laughs> results if we'd like. 109,000 ballots cast with an 18% turnout at this point in time. So wow. if we estimate that 40% of people in Wake County voted slightly, give or take 5%, uh, that means that we're halfway to figuring out who Wake County voted for. Now, now this is fun. This is a race that's close to us. Uh, two weeks ago, if you listened to our program, I profiled the three candidates running for the 16th District of the North Carolina Senate, Josh Stein, Michael Beasley, and Stephanie Watson. And with uh, 20% of precincts reporting in that race, Josh Stein is leading with 55%, Michael Beasley at 41 Stephanie Watson with nearly 3% of the vote in that race. Now, unfortunately, my candidate that I profiled is not doing as well. Uh, Dr. Michael Beiler, uh, 2% of the vote for U.S. Senate. Although my uncle in uh, Durham County is running for Superior Court judge, uh, and he has 0% because there is no precincts reporting. Well, I'm looking at my, my home county, Johnson County, the race is there. There's one for the Johnson County Sheriff. The infamous Steve Bizzle, the Republican incumbent, is 
will probably take it. He's leading right now with a majority of votes, 71% to Gary Muzon's, Jerry Muzon's 27%, and Frankie Harrell's 3%. Bob Etheridge has also been updated, is carrying about 6,898 votes, with a, well, that's 76% of the votes that have been cast. Renee Elmer's now has 23% of the vote. Well, uh, as far as Wake County goes back here locally, the precincts that are in uh, completely reported quite a few at this point in time, and it would seem that most of the ones in uh, the city of Raleigh and West Raleigh are already completely reported. That's that's uh, pretty good. Voter turnout in Wake County already up to 32%, so we're uh, about three-quarters of the way there as far as figuring out uh, what way Wake County is going to go, 50%. Or slightly more than that for Richard Burr at this point in time, although those numbers do fluctuate. Bob Etheridge crushing it here in Wake County. Of course, his district extends beyond that, but he's up at 71%. For the and now of this, this just in, uh, head of the program, John Boyer, is having a birthday. <laughs> and that... I did not see that. I will be completely honest and say I did not see that coming. So how does it feel to be 21? It, it feels very much the same as it did to be 20. Now, you uh, went now, out I, last I will, night. I will tell you how it feels later on, though. Now, you went out last night. I did. Did you have a legal beverage? I had a legal beverage. What was your first drink? My first legal beverage was uh, uh, some sort of very sweet gin a, a cocktail. Gin and kind of and basil was, and lemon. Mint. John, you have to blow out the candles. Yeah, John, you have to blow out the candles. Okay, so we're going to so we're gonna sing happy birthday here. There's a little chaos going on in the studio. Normally food is uh, not allowed in the studio. No, normally food is not allowed in the studio. for me because I'm public affairs director, damn it. <laughs> All right, are you ready? And a one-a... Uh, and a two uh, and a three uh, Happy birthday to you! Happy birthday to you! Happy birthday, John Boy! Happy birthday to you! An on-air birthday for the ages. The time is now 7:58 p.m. Blow out the candles and make my wish. Okay, go for it. Are you ready? We're gonna we're gonna have this on air. John is now approaching the candles I'll with try his and mouth. Not get wax on the mic, but please don't. Oh, very yeah, nice. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, that was WKNC's first live uh, birthday. Yes. Now, what yeah. uh, time were you born? It was five thirteen in the morning, according to my mother. Ah, so yeah. so you've been twenty one for a while now. Mm-hmm. North Dakota and South Dakota share a birthday with me. Oh, nice. race I've had my eye on, too, is this uh, Wake County Soil and Water Conservation District Supervisor. A good friend of mine, Jennifer Wadsworth, is running for that position. She mm-hmm. is carrying – she's in the lead right now with 40% of the votes. Very impressive. Good work, mm-hmm. Jennifer Austina Wadsworth. Well, let's leave you with the uh, big picture because we're rapidly running out of time in this hour. As far as Wake County goes, we know – 121 of 198 precincts here in the county, and Wake County 50.78% of the vote so far is going to Richard Burr. On the statewide level, that will differ. And I will refresh to see what the State Board of Elections is telling us at 755 statewide. Eight counties were completely reported. 662,000 ballots have been counted in 30 minutes or less. Excellent work, guys, with 10% voter turnout so far. Uh, Richard Burr leading Elaine Marshall, 54 to 43%. And as far as the House races go, uh, no surprises yet. Uh, the, the point there being uh, you can continue to follow election results at all of our favorite media hangouts, uh, the News and Observer WRL, or just go straight to the horse's mouth and look it up on the State Board of Elections website. You'd have to do a little digging around, but I'll try and post the link through EOT if you want to 
hit refresh on your browser for the next six hours and see the little bar graphs change. So the time is now 8 o'clock here on WKNC. Thank you for spending the hour with us, and I also want to thank you for sharing a birthday with me here live on the air. Thank you so much. Well, I want to remind you we'll be back next week. We'll be talking more about Couture for a Cause and many other exciting local news stories. Uh, Please get in touch with the program because we like hearing from you. If you have ideas, questions, comments, suggestions, whatever, uh, Twitter is a great place to talk to us, WKNC EOT or WKNC 88.1. Facebook, just look for Eye on the Triangle, Public Affairs at WKNC.org. Our website has been beautifully redone. Beautifully. Beautifully. WKNC.org slash EOT. We'll start posting all kinds of nice newsy content on there, and that's how you can keep up with what's going to be on the upcoming shows and also how to get in touch with us. A big thanks to our guests tonight and for my uh, field reporter, Chris Chaffee, who's been doing a lot of running around today, correspondents Jacob Downey, Mason Morris, and Tom Anderson, our editorial and political analyst, Evan Garris, sportscasters Tyler Everett and Taylor Barber, weathercaster, meteorologist Katie Costa, food critic Mark Herring, and our new events correspondent, Sean Rivera. I'm your host and public affairs director, John Boyer. Thank you for spending the hour with us. Have a great night and join us next time for more Eye on the Triangle next Tuesday night at 7.30.